Good stuff. Uh, let's open up God's Word, shall we? And then I'll get Pastor Paul to come up and uh, share from God's Word. Uh, we're going to be camped out in one passage today, uh, rather one verse. And it's from the book of Numbers. That's before Deuteronomy, uh, no, sorry. Yeah, before Deuteronomy and after Leviticus. Uh, 23, chapter 23, verse 19. So the book of Numbers, 23, verse 19. Please follow along as I read. I read from the English Standard Version, and this is a reminder that this is the Word of God. Let me read. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Thanks, Daniel. Um, I'm so excited that uh, Ben and Faith are here. Uh, I wish we didn't have, you know, we've got our members meeting today, and so unfortunately we can't mingle too much after service, but you know, I wish it wasn't, like the timing didn't happen that way, because if, if you were able to meet them, uh, you'd quickly realize just how amazing of a couple they are. Um, when I first met them, two things popped into my mind. Uh, the first thing was I thought we were the same age, because they look so young, uh, but I soon discovered they're a little bit more mature than me. Uh, they've got children in their teens. Um, and so that was the first thing I remember. And then the second thing was uh, we, we met like in one of the dinners and we had a dinner at the pastor's forum. It was like a pub slash kind of nightclub <laughs> kind of environment, a little bit of you know, alcohol going around because you know, that, that's, that's how the Aussie, Aussie pastors uh, work. And we, we met and we said, let's, let's have breakfast tomorrow, right? And so we picked a time. And then a few hours later, I was in my room, and I couldn't remember what time we agreed on. And I couldn't message them because I didn't have their number. And it was either like something like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or something like that. And I was like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? I messaged someone, a fellow pastor. He's like, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't help you there. And so I just rocked up an hour early, just in case, uh, and waited for them. And I got the time wrong. And so I waited a whole hour you know, just for them. But it was worth it, right? When I sat down with them, just an amazing couple. Um, yeah, so happy you guys are here. Uh, hopefully um, you come back, or maybe we can go visit you one day as well. All right, we're continuing our series on um, the character traits of God, right, called image bearers. Now, we've looked at, I think, six communicable attributes of God, and we're looking at uh, today the seventh. Uh, today we're looking at the fact that God is faithful. Now, this series is uh, topical, and so we're going to jump around uh, the scriptures a little bit in uh, today's sermon. Now, there's this leadership book that I made my pastors and leaders read uh, a few years ago. Right? I love this book. Uh, they gave me a little bit of uh, trouble uh, for making them read this. Uh, the book's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Teen. Anyone heard of this book? It's, oh, it's a great book, right? Easy book, simple book. It's by a guy named Patrick uh, Lencioni, I think it is. He writes leadership books, uh, really easy to read. And they gave me a hard time because, you know, I made them read a book. But, you know, lately, we've been hearing this book quoted all over the place, right? And every time I do, I give them like a smug look, and I'm like, yeah, see, it's a good book, I told you. But in this book, he talks about the five dysfunctions of a team, right? The five things that a team needs to function well, or if a team doesn't have it, um, it will actually make the team not function very well. And I'm not gonna go through the whole book, but the first func dysfunction he, he lays out, this is the first thing that a team needs, he says, is trust. On the most foundational layer, for any team to work well, you need trust. But without trust, he says, 
no matter what kind of team you have, no matter how skilled they are, that team is going to be dysfunctional. This is the same in teams. It's the same at your workplace. It's the same in families, in, in friendships. If you don't have that foundational layer of trust, what's going to end up happening is that no matter what people say, no matter what people promise, no matter you know, what kind of things you share, without trust, everything's going to fill with doubt and second-guessing and uncertainty. Right? If you don't trust your spouse, let's say, they might promise something. They might say, I'm going to do better next time. They might say, I'm never going to do that again. But if you don't trust them, right, you, will, you won't believe them. Right? You'll go away uncertain, and that relationship will be frayed. And it's very difficult to build a relationship if there isn't that foundation of trust. On top of this, you won't be honest to them because you don't trust them. You won't be able to share your, your deepest struggles because you're worried that they might come back and they might you know, bring it back and attack you or they might gossip about you. Right? Trust is this very foundational and important aspect in any kind of relationship. But when you have trust, if I can trust you as a friend or a spouse or you know, in a team, then I can be honest about my struggles honest about my weaknesses, knowing that you're going to protect me. I know you won't use anything against me. You will never gossip about me. And I can believe what you say because we have that relationship of trust. Right? I won't, when you say something, I won't think you have another agenda right? because we have that foundation of trust. Now, this is true for all of our kind of horizontal relationships on this earth, but it's also true in our relationship with God. Right? How important is it that we trust God? And are able to believe what he says. And when he says something, that we are certain that he's going to do it. And the wonderful thing about God is that God, out of all people, is trustworthy. Now that God is, right, this is what we're looking at, that God is faithful. That he's worthy of us putting our trust or our faith into. And when we do, God never lets us down. Right? Unlike, you know, human relationships that may let us down, that may overpromise, that may change their mind, God never does that. Right? This is such a comforting thing for us to have. And so I want to talk about two things today. I'm going to talk about a faithful God, and then I want to talk about how we should be a faith-filled people. But let's talk about our faithful God. The first thing is that the Bible says God is faithful. The Bible throughout you know, the Scriptures, um, it tells us, that God is this kind of God, right? I'm just going to read a few verses for us. Psalm 36.5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Right? And I could have picked a bunch of verses here. Lamentations chapter 3, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, I want to point out here that God is who he says he is. You know that song that we sing? You are who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. Why are you laughing at me? You're laughing at my singing. Deeply offended right now. God is who he says he is, and he, he'll do what he says he'll do. So in this verse, we see that God is who he says he is, and he doesn't change. Right? We call this the immutability of God. God does not change. And so we've looked at a few character traits of God so far. Right, such as his love, his mercy, his justice, his goodness. And those traits of God, they don't change. 
I, I said, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, God's justice doesn't change. You know, for us, our justice changes depending on how much sleep we got the night before. Right? Our justice towards our children, if we had a bad day at work, our justice is not the same, right? depending on how bad or good my day at work is. But God's not like that. Right? His, his justice is the same. His love is the same. His mercy is the same. And so this verse says, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. And His mercies, they don't come to an end. Right? We can bank on God's like, constant character traits. His love and His mercies, they are always steady because... Great is your faithfulness, right? It's because God is faithful to his own being, to his own character, that we can be sure God will always be the God that he said he will be, right? His love is steadfast. His mercies don't come to an end, right? Because God is a faithful God, right? But not only is God who he says he is, but he will also do what he said he will do. So in Numbers 23, and this is the verse that Daniel read for us, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You see, even in our closest human relationships, our words aren't always true. We're not always faithful to what we say. Sometimes we say things and we're lying. Sometimes we promise things and we change our minds or we break our promises, right? These is just the, the normal way that we tend to relate with one another. But whenever God says something, we know it is true. He never lies. He never changes his mind. He never says, oh, you know what? I said the wrong thing. I, I said I'll be good to you, but, you know, I'm not going to be that. Every promise we find in the Scriptures, God has fulfilled or he will fulfill it. He always keeps his word. And he never lets us down. Right? This is the kind of God we have. He is who he says he is. He does what he'll, he says he will do. God is faithful in all things at all times. Right? No one else is like that. But the Bible doesn't just say this. It also shows it. And if you think about the scriptures, it's really a testament to the faithfulness of God. Right? As you read the Bible, we're seeing how faithful God is, especially to an unfaithful people. Now, I could have, again, pointed out a few examples here. But if you look at Abraham, right? Abraham's story is really the testament of God making promises and then keeping it. And he, God makes some uh, incredible promises to Abraham. Right? In Genesis 12, God says this, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now you can kind of break down what God has promised Abraham into maybe three categories. And God is promising Abraham a people and a place and a purpose. God promises Abraham a great people. He says, I'll make out of you a great nation. And this is an incredulous promise because Abraham at this time, he has no child. He has a barren wife, right? A wife who is unable to bear any children. And that's important because if your children are one day going to become a great nation, well, that has to at least start with a single child, right? That's the bare minimum. 
And God makes this promise to Abraham, and it seems impossible, and yet God fulfills that promise. God also promises Abraham a place. In verse 1, he says, go to the land that I will show you. And in the next chapter, he tells Abraham, look north, south, east, west, everything that you see, I'm going to give to you one day. Now again, this is an incredible promise because Abraham, he just was called out of his home. So he has no home. He has no place. He's a nobody. And God says, I'm going to give you all of that. That, that seems impossible. And yet as we read through the scriptures, we find that God fulfills our promise. He leads his people to the promised land. And the final promise that God gives Abraham is that he'll bless him. And that through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can you imagine God came up to you and he said, through you and your family, your offspring, the whole world and everyone in it will be blessed. That's the kind of influence and position that you're going to have and your children will have. That somehow, some way, you will change the world. And that seems impossible as well. But in God's timing and in God's method, he does. You know, God's faithfulness, though unbelievable at times it seems, and the promises that he gives, gives though impossible it may seem at times, he, he always is true to his word. And Abraham does, you know, though he has a barren wife, and though he's very old, he hits the age of 100 and he has his first son with his wife Sarah. And you follow the, the timeline follow the scriptures of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. You get to, you, and then when you hit Exodus, the, the, the family becomes a nation, the nation of Israel. And God does that. And eventually he leads them to the promised land. God fulfills everything that he has said. Through Solomon, the world becomes blessed through this you know, small family that has now become a nation. But even beyond this, God fulfills his promise in a greater eternal way through God's people, who is now the church, the promise of a place for us, which is now the new heavens and new earth, and the way that we will bless the world through Jesus right. and the gospel. You know, God is faithful all throughout the scriptures. But of course, you know, God's faithfulness is shown most clearly in Jesus. You know, we've gone to Genesis a lot uh, through this series, but as soon as sin enters the world, we see grace enter the story as well. In Genesis 3.15, after Abraham, uh, sorry, Adam and Eve, they eat of the forbidden fruit, they're going to be kicked out of the garden, and God promises this. He says, I'll put enmity between you to the serpent. He says, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And I've said this before, but this is what um, theologians call the proto-evangelion. It's the first gospel. Even at that stage, in Genesis 3, right after the first sin, God promises a savior. One day, a child of Eve will enter the world, and he will bruise the head of the serpent, which is a fatal blow. And the serpent will bruise his heel, right, which is not a fatal blow. And we see in God's timing, in God's method, he sends his son. 
the seed of Abraham. And if you go to Matthew 1 and the genealogy, we can see from Abraham all the way to Jesus. An offspring, a seed of Adam and Eve. Sorry, not Abraham, Adam and Eve. And the offspring of Adam and Eve who bruises the head of the serpent at the cross. But at the cross, Jesus dies, but that's not fatal because he rises from the dead. But at the cross, Jesus does crush the head of the serpent. And God, in his faithfulness, he fulfills that promise. Right? The Bible's kind of all through that. Did I say Abraham again? <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a little lack of sleep last night, okay? Yesterday, yesterday was my birthday, by the way. And I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. But it was like, it was such a crazy birthday because we were in hospital. And anyway, um, oh, man, I don't know why I said that. Okay. Just give me grace and forgiveness. The scriptures constantly remind us, right? It doesn't just tell us, but it shows us just how good and faithful God is. And I don't know about you, as you read the scriptures and you, you see God promise things and you see how it interconnects throughout the Bible and you see how God fulfills his promises from the old to the new, right? I don't know about you, it encourages me to realize that God has been constantly faithful and true to his word working across generations, across different authors and different places, thousands of years apart, where God keeps his word. You know, God's faithfulness to you should bring you comfort, especially in bad times. To know that there's someone out there that I can depend on, who's completely reliable, who will never let me down, and that everything that he's told me he will do, he will do. And especially for you in Christ, we have so many promises that are ours. We're so rich in Jesus. And everything that God has said he will do, he will do. Everything will work out for your good, right, if you love him. Right? God has your life. It's secure, and he has a plan and purpose for you. All of these things are true for us. But right? if you think about it in the opposite way, how much discomfort does it bring you when someone is unfaithful? When someone is unreliable? When someone makes promises but doesn't keep them? When you can't depend on someone? That's such a difficult relationship. It brings you anxiety. It troubles you. Right? Work colleagues and you say, can you do this? And they say, yes, I'll do this by this time. They keep pushing back the deadlines. They never get it done. I can't, I can't believe what you say. It's so stressful, right? Friends that they say, yeah, I'll meet you at 9 a.m., constantly late. You don't like that stuff. God always keeps his word. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging, always reliable. He's never made a promise that he has never kept and he won't keep. No one has put their faith in God and been let down. Every word of God is true. You know, when I was learning to drive and I was in my L plates, sometimes my mom would sit in the passenger seat and, you know, help me, you know, accrue the hours so I can get up to my P plates. And whenever I drove, it was really obvious that my mom didn't trust me, didn't trust my driving. Because as I drove, I could see, you know, next to me, she's like straight back, you know, eyes like as big as they can be. She's got bigger eyes than me. Um, like staring, staring at everything that's happening just in case, you know, a car jumps in, just in case something happens so she can tell me, 
right? And she's always gripping that, that little thing. I don't know what that's for. Is that for your hands or for, to hang clothes on? Just gripping it with like white knuckles. And whenever we'd approach a red light or cars in front of us, I'd watch, I'd see in the corner of my eye her foot, her right foot pressed down an invisible brake pedal as if it was there. And she's like, it was so obvious she didn't trust me and, and, and it showed up. And sometimes I think that's what we're like with God. As God's navigating our lives and taking us, you know, through whatever he has planned for us, we're unable to relax because we're on high alert, always looking ahead to see what might go wrong, unable to let go, always gripping, tense, worried. Sometimes want to reach over and take over the wheel from God. But when you're in a car with someone you trust. It's not like that, right? If the person driving, you can completely trust in them. It doesn't matter what's ahead of you. You don't even look at the road. You don't look at the cars in front of you. Or you can close your eyes. Maybe you'll pull back the seat and have a snooze and rest. And you're not worried about which direction they're going. You don't worry about what's in front of you. You can just commit it to them because you completely trust them. And the weather outside could be raining or hailing but you're just at peace. Because a person who's in control, you can put your trust in them. And when we put our faith in God, it's kind of like that. When you can believe that God is a faithful God, that he is true, right, that he's good and he's gracious and merciful and we've heard these things and he's always those things. And that all the things that he's promised to you that he will keep. In our lives, in our hearts, I think we can close our eyes a little bit and just relax. And take a rest right, knowing that God is faithful all the time. And this is who our God is. He's all the things that we've heard about in this series and more. And he is always those things. But the second thing is that we should be a faith-filled people. If God is perfectly faithful and that's who he is, right? he's the only one really who is faithful all the time. And the question is for you and for me, will we put our trust or our faith in that faithful God? His faithful, will we be faith-filled? You see, when it comes to trust, it takes two to tango. Right? You, know that, you know that phrase, right? Like it, it takes, it's a two-way relationship. On the one hand, the person that I'm putting my faith into needs to be faithful or trustworthy. But at the same time, I need to be willing to put my faith into them. And you need both of those things. Right, so if, if I'm willing to put my faith or trust into someone, but they're not trustworthy, they're not faithful, right, that relationship won't work. Because over time, they'll let you down. They won't keep their word. They'll change their mind. And then you, you, you lose that uh, foundation of trust in that relationship and it will break. And unfortunately, I think our human relationships too often fall into that category, right? Because we live in a sinful and broken world. We put our trust into people who will break our trust, right? Who will change their minds, who will lie to us. But on the flip side, even if that other person is perfectly faithful, they always keep their word, right? Everything they say is true. If I'm not willing to trust them, that relationship doesn't work either. Because no matter what they say, you, you doubt it. 
They say, I'll do it, but you're like, mm, I don't know if you'll really do it. And every action and decision they make, you second guess. Right? So it needs to be two ways. And unfortunately, I think often that's our relationship with God. Right? God is perfectly faithful, but we're like, mm, I don't know. Can I really trust you? Can I really believe everything that I find in your word? Is every promise really true? That's the challenge for us. If God is a faithful God, the problem's not with him. Right? The question is, will we completely and utterly put our trust and faith in God? There's two things that um, I want to challenge us with. The first is to remember God's faithfulness. You know, I think sometimes we struggle to trust in God today because we, we forget how good God has been in the past. Right? We struggle to find hope in my problems in the present because we've forgotten how faithful God has been with my problems in the past. Right? This is the story, I think, of Israel throughout the Old Testament. God's people consistently forgetting how good and how powerful and how uh, gracious and faithful God has been to them. But there are forgetful people. And, you know, if there's one clear example, it's Israel wandering through the wilderness. Right? If you know the story of Israel, again, Abraham, God's give, give, given Abraham these amazing promises of a great nation, etc. You hit the book of Exodus, they are a great nation, but now they're enslaved to Pharaoh. And so God raises up a leader, Moses. Moses is going to lead his people out of Egypt. And they escape Egypt through the power of God in just the most like, incredible way. Like the, the ten plagues. Right? Imagine seeing any one of those plagues. Right? You'd be like amazed. Wow, God is real. God is so powerful. And then God parts the Red Sea and the people walk through it as if it's dry land. Right? I love it. I always picture um, that movie. Prince of Egypt. And that song that I'm not going to sing. And, and the, the, the ocean's like, they, they part and they, they walk through. And there's like whales like swimming in, in the waters right next to them. It's just incredible. Imagine being there, right? Too bad they didn't have like, like phones and selfie cameras and YouTube back then. And you walk through that. And as incredible as all these things are, and I think what's most fascinating is that three days later, three days later, the very same people start to grumble and complain and doubt God. Right? How do they do that? They complain, oh, we've got no water. This is Exodus 15. We've got no water. We're going to die of thirst. The next chapter, they're like, we've got no food. We're going to die of hunger. How does that happen? Right, we forget how faithful God has been and how powerful he is and how good he is and how he's delivered us. I mean, if you remembered what God had done three days ago, would you really doubt him to provide you food and water today? And I think it's beautiful, like powerfully captured in this verse, Exodus 16. It says, the people of Israel said to them, right, they said, this is what they say, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Somehow in their forgetfulness, 
their past problems don't seem as bad, and God's faithfulness doesn't seem as good. And they think back and they're like, oh, remember those times where we sat around the meat pots and we ate to our full? They were slaves. I don't know what they're thinking. Like, it's in their mind, it's like it was better back then. But that's not true. They were slaves. They were dying. They didn't have meat pots. They weren't eating to their full. But in their mind, it was the problems weren't as bad. And therefore, God's faithfulness wasn't as good. And so as they struggle through this, because they've forgotten God, they struggle through these small problems in the present. And I think that's the same for us. We forget how faithful God has been to us. How good and strong and present God has been to us. Now, I don't know about you, but you think back to how you met God and how good and faithful he was. And it, it just gives you so much encouragement. But I think the problem is we forget those kinds of things. For us as well, our, our problems in the past don't seem as bad as they were. And God's faithfulness doesn't seem as good as it really is. You know, we, we struggle through things, we pray about things, and they seem so big in the moment, but once God answers us and he, he pushes us through that struggle, we, we're so quick to forget. We don't give God thanks. We don't testify about God's goodness, and we just move on from those things. If only we would remember how good God has been, how many prayers God has answered, right? how powerfully he has worked in your life, how different you are today than you were at the start because God is sanctifying you, I think it would help us in the present and the struggles that we have in the future. And God knew that his people were a forgetful people. He constantly reprimands them in the Old Testament for forgetting him. And he constantly encourages them to remember one of the things that God does is that in the Old Testament, and even now, God puts these things that are meant to remind his people about him. As so you look through the Old Testament, the Sabbath, the Sabbath exists so that we might remember certain things about God, right, that God created the world, or God rests, and therefore rest is important for us. Throughout the Old Testament, they have feasts that they're commanded to celebrate, the Passover feast. The sole purpose of this Passover feast is that the people, as they celebrate this feast, might remember the Passover, remember God's deliverance, God's power, and give God glory. Right? It's that they might not forget what God has done, because they forget. The covenant signs, like the rainbow, right, is meant to remind us of God's faithfulness. Right? We sang about one of these today. We sang that song, uh, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. What does that mean? I, I, I'll be honest, I've sung that line many times with, with no idea what that means. That comes from 1 Samuel 7, right? In that story, uh, the Philistines are attacking God's people, and the prophet Samuel, he prays to God, and God delivers them, and they defeat the Philistines. And so Samuel, he, he raises up a stone, he puts up a stone, and he calls it Ebenezer, right, which means God is my help. And that stone is like a reminder every time you see the stone, oh, remember how God helped us, right, and delivered us. It's a reminder. Are we through, they, they do this all the time in, in the Old Testament, it's interesting. In Joshua 4, Joshua commands his people to put 12 stones up, 
And he says, this may be a sign among us that when your children ask in the time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you should tell them right, what had happened. Tell them how God had helped us. We are a forgetful people, and I think for us as well, we need these reminders in our lives that we might remember how good and faithful and powerful and gracious and merciful God is to us. You know, we have things in the church life that act like this. Communion is a reminder of the cross and Christ and our salvation. And by the way, we're going to start doing communion a little bit more frequently. We're going to start with a quarterly. But that's a reminder for us that we might remember the faithfulness of God. Baptism. We've got baptism and confirmation service coming up soon. And as we see the infants being baptized, or as we see people being confirmed, it's a reminder to us of our own salvation too and how God has been faithful in our lives. And maybe you stood up on stage once, right, and that's meant to encourage you. We sing songs. Right? I think songs are a great reminder. We have seasons like Easter and Christmas. And even in our conversations with people, as we share about what God's doing in our lives, it's a reminder to them about what God has been doing in theirs. And this is why gathering in community is so important for us, because we are a forgetful people. But by ourselves, we will forget. Right? Living in a world so loud right, that it drowns out God in the midst of all of the noise that we live in. And we need to gather together, to sing, right? to go to the Word, to share that we might remember who God is. You know, for you, I'd encourage you to engage with two books. One's already been written and one is yet to be written. Right, the first one that's been written is been written by God. It's the Scriptures. And again, the Scriptures are a constant reminder of the faithfulness of God. And you go to the Scriptures and as you read it, that God would tell you how good and faithful He is in biblical history. But the second book is the one yet to be written by you. Right, and that's journaling. And I'm not saying you have to journal. That's not a command from Jesus or anything. But I think journaling and the act of journaling helps us to remember how good God has been. As you look back on previous journal entries and the things that you prayed for and you realize that God has answered those things, right? I heard once it's like pressing flowers that you would store up the good things God has done that you might one day look back on and remember the faithfulness of God. So that's the first thing, that we might remember the faithfulness of God. But the second challenge is to respond to God's faithfulness. In bad times, the faithfulness of God is meant to comfort you. But in good times, the faithfulness of God should challenge you. Um, right, this verse up here, it says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. When we say, I, I put my faith in a faithful God, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not empty optimism. We're saying, I'm, I'm assured of these things that God has promised. I'm convicted, even though I can't see it, I have this conviction that God will do what he said he'll do. Right? That's what faith is. It's not just an mm, airy-fairy thing. It's, it's, it's this certainty of what God will do. If we really believed 
God was faithful to his word. Or not as like some um, idea, but when we went to God's word and God's word says something and we say, God is going to be faithful to that. If we really believe that, it should change the way we live. That's what I mean. It should challenge you because it should show up in your life. Like, like if, if I said to you today, I know the next Powerball numbers. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And the Powerball number is 11. But I don't know how Powerball works. <laughs> Let's say it's that. And I came next week and I said, did you buy your Powerball, Powerball tickets? And you were like, no. Well, that's obvious that you didn't trust me, at least in that area, right? If you really had faith in what I said and that it's going to happen, you'd act on it, right? You either didn't believe me or you, you don't like money. And that's, okay, anyway. You don't love money, you should, I mean, anyway. If God's word says certain things and God will really do what he said he'll do, to truly believe those things would show up in our lives. Right, just two examples. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. To really believe that God will be faithful to what he said here would change how we live our lives. It would change the priorities that we place. It would change the things that we pursue. It would change how we will sacrifice things. Right, to take the faithfulness of God beyond a, a concept, but to really say God keeps his word. And if I seek the kingdom, then God will you know, take care of the rest. And that's the challenge, I think, for us. To take the concept of the faithfulness of God beyond an intellectual exercise and to really let it land on our hearts and to show up in our lives. Or when Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that true? Or do we really believe when God says these things that it's true? Then it will show up in our lives. To shape our decisions, our priorities, how we handle money, how we use our time, what we invest into. Right? Are we willing to bank on God's promises and say, because you have said this, and because I believe what you said that you will do, that's going to shape how I live my life, right? That's how God's faithfulness really shows up in your life. And so that's it. God is faithful. And the challenge for us is then to be faith-filled. There's no one like our God, no one more dependable, constant, true. What God said, he will do. And who he is, he always will be. And so we need to remember this, get into church life, get into the Bible, maybe journal. And maybe for those of us who are going through a difficult time to find comfort in the fact that God will never let you down, will never change his word, and everything that he promised for us in Christ, right, we can bank on that. Find comfort in your bad times, but also be challenged in the good times. To let the faithfulness of God really change how you live, right, because you really believed it not just as an idea, but you really believed God is a faithful God. And so let's close our eyes and let's just spend a bit of time in prayer.
And I don't know where you're, what you're going through at this time, but if you're going through a difficult time, I want to invite you to find comfort in the fact that God is dependable. God is true to his word. And if you're in Christ, you've come to Jesus in faith. And God will never let you down. In his timing, in his methods, he will always fulfill what he's promised for you. Find comfort in that. Find comfort in knowing that the God who is in control of your life and he holds the wheel, that you can put your faith in him and let go and relax and close your eyes knowing that he's gonna take care of you. He'll take you down the path that he's determined for you and he will get you to the end destination safe and sound in heaven with him for eternity. Find comfort in this faithful God. If you're going through good times and there's no struggle in your life, then I challenge you. Do you really believe that God is faithful to what he has said? To the things that he's promised? The things that he said he'll do? Do you believe that eternal condemnation is real? That eternal life is real? And that the only way to go from one to another is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? If God is faithful to his word, then there are people in our lives that don't yet know Christ and are headed to a bad place. And these things should challenge and change us. Do you seek first his kingdom, trusting that as you do so, God will take care of everything else? So wherever we are, I just invite us to pray and to find comfort or be challenged today. Let's pray.